Okay, hello everybody. Um, it's great to be invited here today and meet you all, see you all uh, in your Wednesday class. Uh, I understand you've been exploring sometime over the year Buddhism Bodhisattvas, uh, but you hadn't got around to Green Tara, so <laughs> it's great to be able to talk about uh, her. So yes, I was ordained by uh, Bantu Sangharaksha in uh, 1973, and it's traditional in our order, in your private ordination ceremony, to ask your private preceptor for a practice that you want to take up and do thereafter. So I remember uh, very vividly that during the private ordination ceremony, he said, so what practice are you going to take? And I said, Green Tara. And I remember him saying, oh, no hesitation there then. <laughs> and then he gave me the mantra. So I'd been coming along to Tri Ratna at that point, maybe two or three years, short ordination process. <laughs> and uh, some of the time I'd been going to what was a center down in Purley, which was called Ariatara. Uh, now it's just a community. So the people who lived there um, were obviously very devoted to Green Tara. And one of the people who lived there was an artist and he painted a very beautiful, big mural uh, on one of the walls in the hallway. And this is the picture, I don't, you probably can't see it, but it's behind me on the wall. It's, it's still my favorite uh, picture of Green Tar. I think it's quite Western as well as being quite traditional. I don't know if this will work if I hold up a picture. It's a bit shiny, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> that's the picture. Uh, you can find a, a better reproduction in um, Vasantra's book, Meeting the Buddhas, in his chapter on Green Tara. So I took the Green Tara practice uh, but I did, I had wondered before that whether I would take uh, the Manjigosha practice. I don't know if you've covered Manjigosha in your Bodhisattva explorations, but he's the Bodhisattva of wisdom. So he holds a sword, he wields a sword of wisdom, and he holds a book. And uh, I did love, and I still love study, and I do value clarity. So I thought maybe that was the practice for me. But at the time, uh, I realized that actually Green Tara would be a much more challenging practice for me because back then I found uh, suffering very very difficult uh, my own other people's and I could fall into either what we call horrified anxiety kind of freeze in the face of suffering <clears throat> or into depression and uh, I thought well if I if I contemplated Green Tara who is the quintessence of compassion and very responsive um, that would probably help me with uh, those difficulties or those attitudes and uh, I think it was a good choice for me to take that practice and uh, I've done it pretty regularly in, in the decades since and uh, it's still a very alive practice for me. So just to say um, you might know this that uh, Sangharakshita when he lived in Kalimpong he took the Green Tara practice from one of his teachers Chetal Sanjay Dorje. Uh, and it was the first visualization and mantra recitation practice that he took. And I think he did it after that for many, many years. And I think before that, he'd mainly done the mindfulness of breathing for about a decade. So who is Green Tara? Uh, what does she look like and what are her qualities? So she's often described as the quintessence of compassion and uh, one myth describes her as being born from the tears of Avalokiteshvara. So Avalokiteshvara, I don't know if you've come across him in your explorations, but he's the great Bodhisattva of wisdom. 
He's often depicted in a four-armed form and he holds the wish-fulfilling gem of Bodhicitta, the Bodhi heart, to his heart. Um, so there's myths about him. And one of the myths about Avalokiteshvara, and we're in a mythic realm here, is that uh, he vowed that he would save all sentient beings. And that if he couldn't fulfill that task, that he would shatter. And of course, the more beings he saved, the more beings were being reborn into conditioned existence. So he realized that that task was unending. And in the myth, he does shatter. And uh, the great red Buddha of love, Amitabha, puts him back together uh, in this rather unusual form that you might have come across where he's got 11 heads, which can see in all directions. And this kind of halo of a thousand arms. So he's put back in a form where he's much more able to respond to the unending task of saving all sentient beings. Another part of that myth is that he weeps. He weeps when he sees the suffering of all beings and, in, and the unending nature of that task. And his tears fall lakes of tears from his right eye, from his left eye. And the myth says that from one lake of tears is born white Tara and from the other lake of tears is born green Tara. So that's a lovely myth. And I'm going to read you a description of that uh, written by the Sandra. It's a lovely piece of, piece of prose from uh, meeting the Buddhas uh, in his chapter on green Tara. So that from this, you'll get a sense of that myth and you'll get a sense of green Tara and what she means. So tears form like dew in the exquisite eyes of the Lord Avalokiteshvara. They fall to the earth where they form a pool. They pour down endlessly in response to the sufferings mirrored in those tear-filled eyes. Gradually, a great lake of tears forms. Slowly, the waters in the center of the lake are ruffled by something emerging from their depths. Out of the lake of tears rises a blue lotus flower of extraordinary delicacy. A stream of tears falls into the soft heart of the lotus and transforms it into a white full moon disc. Slowly, just above the surface of the moon disc, jade green light appears, vivid and clear, without any solidity, gently, gradually assuming the form of green Tara. Her apparitional birth complete, her eyelids open for the first time to reveal two perfect blue eyes, identical to those from which she was born. She looks out over the world in the lake of tears and her face breaks into a smile of such beauty and tenderness that the whole world trembles with joy. From her heart, rays of light begin to pour forth, shining through the rain of compassionate tears falling around her, forming myriads of rainbows, arcing and dancing in all directions. Every rainbow whispers a sound. They carry it like fairy messengers from her heart. They whisper it to the troubled waters of the lake, which become smooth and still. They whisper it to the falling teardrops. They whisper it to all beings, to the whole universe. The sound is Om Tare Tutare Ture Swaha, the mantra of the beautiful green princess Tara. It is the beginning of the end of all our suffering. I think that's a beautiful piece of writing and it just gives us that sense of Tara's birth and of her qualities. So one of her qualities is that she's green in color. Uh, she's green Tara. So she's sometimes described as emerald or she could be jade or turquoise. Sometimes she's described as like an emerald mountain clothed in rainbows. 
but she can in a way be any color green. She can be the green of spring leaves, or she can be dark green, almost black green, like the forest at midnight. So green is the color of nature, it's part of her symbolism. It's the color of healing, it's the color of harmony, it's the color of the forest. So it's interesting, this is something that's been interesting to me recently, is that most Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have what we call, they live in what we call a pure land. So we live in a world and they live in a world which reflects their enlightened mind. Uh, and Tara's got her own pure land, which is called the harmony of turquoise leaves or the harmony of turquoise petals, which is beautiful, isn't it? And many of the pure lands of the other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are, they're, they're flat and uh, they have jewel trees and so on and so forth. But her pure land is quite different and it's quite wild and natural because she's the color of nature. So it's a mystic forest paradise. Uh, it's full of healing trees. It's full of flowers and medicinal herbs. It resounds with the sound of birdsong in the murmur of waterfalls. Uh, and also uh, it shelters many, many creatures. And I think it's the only pure land traditionally that has animals in it, which is partly why I like it. It has little creatures in it that she looks after and uh, uh, shelters. So I, I like the idea of her pure land, which is wild and natural and looks after the wild beasts. So that's kind of connected with the fact that green is the color of nature. But green traditionally in Tibetan Buddhism is also associated with the element air, uh, with the wind. So that uh, hence her association, what we call swift response, like the wind. So she responds very quickly. She comes when you call her. So contemplating her color, and it can be the color you see in your mind's eye, whatever green that is. I think that gives us an inner feeling for Tara, a subtle feeling that's beyond words. So when we see her, when we try and call her to our mind's eye, we don't see her as solid. Uh, she's translucent, she's diaphanous, she's luminous. It's said that she's like a rainbow in space, or she's like green light shining through glass or through silk. So she's made of light floating in a pool of light. And she's also not, when we try and see her, she's not static uh, or flat. And of course, when we look at a picture, the picture, even though it may be very beautiful, is flat. And when we look at a rupa or a statue of Tara, then it's solid. But there, in a way, they're just gateways for how we can see her in our mind's eye, in our inner vision. So she's beautiful. Uh, she's captivating. Uh, she has a beautiful smiling face with these beautiful blue compassionate eyes. And one of the things I also like, and I'm going to come back to this a bit later, is it's often said that she has a mischievous or playful smile. Uh, so though she responds to the suffering of all beings with this uninterrupted compassion, she's also playful. She has an open heart, an open receptive heart. And I think uh, her playfulness, that mischievousness, her joyfulness, is there to counteract any tendency on our part uh, to become rigid and over-serious or even self-righteous in our Dharma life, which can sometimes happen if we get too serious. So then the way she sits and the way she looks is also very important. So her right hand rests on her right knee in this open-handed, uh, generous uh, mudra or, or gesture. And that symbolizes her unlimited generosity. So she fulfills all our wishes. She's generous completely. And then her left hand is at her heart in the, the ring finger and the thumb and then the three fingers symbolizing uh, the three jewels. 
she goes for refuge to the three jewels. So she offers beings refuge and shelter. I think that gesture also symbolizes her own very deep connection with the Dharma's truth. And then each hand holds a spray of blue lotus flowers. So each spray has a bud, a semi-open flower and a fully open blossom symbolizing growth and development. But Utpala flower is quite interesting. So I think we're maybe familiar with the symbolism of a lotus which grows out of the mud and then rises above the water. But Utpala flowers are rare and special in that they grow in the mountains. They're, they're mythical really, and they only open at moonlight. So they're very unusual, very, uh, very beautiful. And they have a very sweet perfume, which is said to call us uh, in the darkness to the spiritual life. So then her right leg steps down. So her right leg's on her palm, her right leg steps down into the world. So she's always ready to help uh, sentient beings, human beings, all beings. But her left leg is drawn up into meditation posture. Uh, so her, it's interesting, isn't it? Her right side is dynamic with the hand outwards and the leg stepping down. It's very, very dynamic. She's stepping into whatever is presented to her. And her left side with the hand to the heart and the, and the leg in meditation is contemplative and meditative. So she's both active and contemplative, and that's in perfect balance. And I think that's a wonderful thing for us to contemplate because I don't know about you, but it's quite hard to get that into balance. Uh, we're either very outgoing, very dynamic, and you know, not so in touch with our inner world, or we're you know we're meditating and we find it hard to then go out into the world. I don't know. I, I find that anyway. So contemplating that perfect balance, uh, I think, can be very helpful to us. So then she has long black hair, which falls down over her shoulders and is pulled up into a top knot with a wish-fulfilling gem. And she's clothed in all the finest silks and jewels of a bodhisattva. So the finest silks and all the wish-fulfilling gems and emeralds and rubies and diamonds and sapphire, etc. And she has the bodhisattva crown of the five jinnas. And then she has these beautiful jewels, earrings, necklaces, bracelets, armlets, anklets, and uh, a silver or gold jeweled belt. And, every, and then she's covered, she's surrounded by silken shawls and she has shawls floating around her. She has a shawl, she has a rainbow skirt, these beautiful silks, which are said to blow in the winds of compassion. So the jewels uh, symbolize that she's a princess and they also symbolize, each jewel has a particular symbolism, but they symbolize she is expressive of the six perfections of Mahayana Buddhism. So um, generosity, which she also expresses in her hand, ethical behavior, patience, energy, meditation, and wisdom. So she's very, very beautiful. And she sits on this white moon mat on a blue lotus flower. So sometimes it's also said she has different qualities of femininity or womanhood. So sometimes we can see her as a 16 year old young woman. Uh, and this symbolizes, I think, her creativity, her playfulness, her purity, her freshness. But she also has the qualities of a mother because she expresses love and tenderness for all beings. And she responds immediately just as a mother responds to the needs of her children. She also has the qualities of a queen. You know, she's got this, she's got the crown and the jewels, etc. And that's interesting. That symbolizes that she has, I guess, the power in a positive sense and the ability to save all sentient beings, to work for all sentient beings. 
So everything about her uh, has symbolic meaning, which we can be open to, and we can study what those symbols mean. Uh, but it's more important to just contemplate her, what she looks like in all those different aspects and reflect on the symbolism. And somewhere Bante says that in the, in the, in the language of symbols, a symbol is not a symbol unless it's a symbol for you. So though we could study the, sim the symbolic meaning, we also just need to sit with her and let those symbols speak to us. So as well as being described as the quintessence of compassion and born from the tears of Avnikatesha and being the swift one, the courageous one, she's sometimes described as the quick way to wisdom. So that's interesting. Uh, no doubt any practice that we do could be the quick way to wisdom, because it depends on the depth and commitment uh, of our practice. But Tara is said to, said to especially reflect this. And it said it's because she is so extremely beautiful, intensely beautiful, that we want to contemplate her. We're drawn to her with great devotion and enjoyment. So we want to be with her. We want to uh, contemplate her enlightened qualities. And that wholeheartedness of being with her that allows us to begin to embody her qualities so that we eventually become one with her. That's the purpose really of contemplating Tara, that we begin to develop her qualities that we've, we've talked about so far. And eventually we become one with her, we become an enlightened being. So there's a maxim, isn't it, that we sometimes say that that which we set our heart upon, that which we become. So this is how uh, contemplation of a Buddha or Bodhisattva works. So we've talked about her image and her qualities, uh, but we can also call Tara to be present to us through sound. Uh, so every Buddha or Bodhisattva has a seed syllable in their heart, um, surrounded by the syllables of their particular mantra. Um, and the seed syllable is just, it, it is what it says, it's a seed. It's a bit like um, the acorn contains the whole of the mature oak tree. Tara's seed syllable, which is Tang, which is a play on her name, uh, contains all her qualities. So you could uh, visualize just the seed syllable, either in Tibetan or Sanskrit or Roman and uh, Tang, T-A-N, and you would be in contact with Tara and all her qualities. And then in her heart, that is surrounded by the syllables of her mantra, Om Tare, Tu Tare, Ture Swaha. We could go into uh, the meaning of the different syllables, but basically it, it's a play on her name. And when you recite her mantra, you're again, you're calling on Tara. When you, when you want someone's attention, you call their name, don't you? So you were calling on her name. And the syllable and the mantra in her heart are also brilliant green in color and made of light and radiating light. So she's present in her image, she's present in the image of her seed syllable, she's present in the image of the syllables of the mantra, but she's also present in her sound. So just through chanting the mantra, we call upon her. Uh, so I'm sure you're familiar maybe with um, Tara's mantra, which we recite as the concluding mantras in the puja. And sometimes we chant the mantra, don't we, more fully in the puja. So when we're chanting a mantra more fully uh, as part of the puja, sometimes it takes a bit of a while to get going, doesn't it? But as we keep chanting Om Tare, Tu Tare, Ture Swaha, it becomes more natural, becomes more spontaneous, and we become absorbed in that sound. And then I think we begin to feel the presence of Tara. 
The sound symbol and visual symbol are equally important, I think, in calling her to mind. So there's an author called John Blowfield, he's no longer alive, but he wrote a number of books about uh, Kuan Yin, the female version of Avalokitesha, about green tar and about mantra itself. And uh, in one of his books, he says, she's said to respond upon the instant. Should one do no more than cry aloud her name just once with heartfelt fervor. So you call on Tara by just calling Tara, you just call her name. And I remember being on an ordination retreat at Tirat Namoka many years ago, and I ordained someone who took the green Tara practice. And she read this uh, line in the book, and she came to my room and she said, Dharma Dinner, it says in this book, if we just shout Tara's name, she'll come. And I said, Oh, let's, let's do it, let's do it. So we shouted Tara, I won't do it because you'll, you know, <laughs> we shouted Tara very, very loudly. And then there was a, a knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Anyway, it was my friend Samata from next door who was checking to see if we were all right. But yeah, so you can shout Tara's name, you can chant her mantra, you can visualize her. And because she's got this quality of um, swiftness like the wind, she's supposed to come and be present for you. Uh, so we contemplate Tara because we're drawn to the qualities she symbolizes. and. The awakened mind, the enlightened mind, is completely vast and open and limitless. It's, in a way, it's beyond symbols. Uh, and we can only approach that mind, um, which is our own true mind, through its aspects or qualities. So it's a bit like the sun, isn't it, shining through crystal or shining through prisms and creating rainbow-colored light. The rainbow-colored light being all the different and almost infinite qualities of the enlightened mind, which are then embodied in different Buddhas and Bodhisattva figures. So we might be drawn to wisdom or compassion or peace or loving kindness or freedom or energy. Uh, and those will be personified in a particular Buddha or Bodhisattva, which may be attractive to us. But if we're drawn to Tara's qualities, we're drawn to that tenderness of compassion, that kindness, that responsiveness, that fearlessness, that courageousness, then we will want to contemplate her. And contemplating a Buddha or Bodhisattva, uh, it just brings about over time a shift in our perception so that we do begin to share in and imbue uh, the qualities that the particular Buddha or Bodhisattva, in this case Tara, represents or expresses. So as I say, we begin to become more and more like her. Uh, we begin to realize that she is us in our potential until eventually uh, all barriers are dissolved and we become one with her, inseparable from her. So I said the, that I've been contemplating Green Tire for many decades and it's still an alive and growing relationship as it were. And different qualities uh, spark me off at different times or speak to me at different times. So one of the qualities I'm particularly drawn to at the moment is this quality of her playfulness or this mischievous. So there are stories in the tradition of Tara being mischievous and uh, playing with her devotees, as it were, <laughs> making them less serious, trying to make them less serious. Uh, so she's playful, she's joyous and she laughs. Um, so, yeah, I think what well, times are difficult, aren't they, in the world at the moment? Uh, they're very, very difficult for many, many people. And I think it's crucial that we respond to ourselves, 
and to others with as much empathy, kindness and compassion as we can possibly muster in the present circumstances. But it's also important to uh, find joy uh, in life at the moment. Um, so there's a tradition uh, of practice in Buddhism called the mind training, which focuses particularly on taking difficulties onto the path and seeing difficulties, whatever they are, as opportunities. So it's a challenging form of practice. But one of the slogans or precepts of that tradition of practice is always have a joyful mind. So that joy uh, doesn't arise just from pleasure or, or simple happiness, but it arises from practice, from faith. And if you know uh, the Bodhisattva, uh, Vajrasattva, and you're familiar with his mantra, uh, in that mantra, at a certain point, it's a long mantra, we chant, ha, 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 ho, which is laughter. It's a way of laughing in the mantra. And uh, one of our poets has translated that line as, the laughter of the unchained mind echoes forever, which I think is very, very beautiful. For the unchained mind is the free mind, and in, in the free mind there's spontaneity, so there's playfulness, and there's laughter. So Tara's playfulness, I think, and mischievousness and laughter arises from her unchained mind. She takes the sufferings of beings completely seriously, and she does all she can to help, but she's full of joy and play. She laughs at Mara, and he disappears. She doesn't laugh at us, but she laughs at our fears, which dissolve in the face of her wisdom and compassion. So sometimes we can manage to do that. We can kind of take a kind of more humorous uh, look at our tendencies and our habits and our samskaras. So I, I find that quality of transcendental playfulness, laughter and joy, nourishing and inspiring, particularly in, in, in difficult circumstances. So I just, uh, to conclude, I hope that's given you a sense of Green Tara, some of her qualities, what she looks like, different ways that we can contemplate her, bring her to mind, whether visually or through sound. <clears throat> so just to um, recap, we, we picture her as brilliant green in colour, maybe emerald green, and she's sparkling, she's evanescent, she's intangible. She's like a rainbow after a storm clears the sky of mist and clouds. She has this ephemeral body of light, but she's overflowing with warmth and radiant qualities, with kindness, with compassion. So if you are not able to get a very clear picture of Tara, that's fine. One of her qualities is that she's said to be very forgiving. Uh, I think she's said to be very accessible, so she's very forgiving. So if we get her mantra wrong or we mess up in a puja, Tara doesn't mind. So if we can't get a clear picture of her, she's not going to mind that. So we just relax, we just try and relax into her presence and get this sense of loving kindness and compassion. And I think in a way, just getting a feeling of her presence, the presence of her qualities is the most important aspect. You just try and sense that she is near you, that you are bathing in her wisdom, kindness, beauty and care. She will be present, she is present the moment you turn your attention towards her and are open and devoted. Thank you. Mm, gosh, thank you so much, Dharmazina. So rich, such riches, my goodness. And um, gosh, it's hard to know what to say after that. <laughs> she feels very, very present actually now. Um, thank you so much for introducing us to her so fully. Um, 
really, really appreciate it. Gosh, yeah, she feels like she's really here. Um, I don't, we've got a, just a few minutes left, a couple of minutes left. I don't know if anybody has anything they'd like to ask Dharma Dilla, assuming she's willing <laughs> to answer questions. Um, just need to get my view back, gallery. Julian, and then Rajan. Yes. <laughs> I guess it's part of her compassion um, towards beings because I guess we all experience fear in various ways, don't we? And uh, I think Bhante once said, all, all fear is fear of death. So we have existential fear and then we have uh, all sorts of other fears and anxieties. And I think her compassion just responds to that, but she has a form or she has eight forms which respond to eight traditional aspects of fear. And uh, she has apparently, I just discovered this recently, uh, in response to the fear, she has eight kinds of laughter. <laughs> so I think it is part of her compassion that she she wants to save save us from the kind of that um, uncomfortableness of fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> yeah, but you could explore that more. Uh, yeah, Rajan, you had a question. Hey, uh, yeah, thank you, thank you for your talk. Um, I think I've heard about bodhisattvas uh, and using them in practice before, but only after your talk, I, I kind of understand why it would be useful, whereas before, the kind of <laughs> and stuff didn't really appeal to me at, at all. Um, I, I yeah. guess it's a general question, not not specific to Green Tara, but is is Green Tara the only sort of bodhisattva that you that you focus your practice on, or do you? She's the main. She's the main. The main practice that I've done over the years, but I have done other practices. Um, I've done quite a lot of Vajrasattva practice, uh, and because she's so connected with Avalokiteshvara, I've also done Avalokiteshvara practice. And I do other practices. You know, I do mindfulness and metta. Sure. What need when I do what feels appropriate at, at the time. But she has been the main. The main focus. Mm -hmm. So as sort of someone who's new to that kind of practice, would you advise sort of picking one bodhisattva and, and focusing on them or? Uh, I see what happens. <laughs> you know, they sort of appear. I think people are more experienced in the archetypal world. You know, if you're a puja and you're chanting a mantra, you know, one Buddha bodhisattva might just become, sure. come to you. And then, but that might change, you know, because in a way they're all the same. <laughs> they're all very different, uh, but they're all aspects of the enlightened mind. So, <laughs> just think some, sometimes we feel a resonance, don't we, with, like you say, Dhammadana, a mantra or an image. Or I think that's one of the things you've done this morning is you've made her much less abstract and more oh, good, <laughs> more heartful. Yes, thank you. Any anybody last any last before we go? Um, I've got a quick question, if I may. Um, I was wondering how we um, process um, fear, for example, so trying to feel that fear, while at the same time having something like the, um, the presence of Tara and having this playfulness going on. How can you do the two at the same time, or um, am I kind of envisaging that in the wrong way? 
Mm, interesting. <laughs> I think when I'm working with fear, I do just try and work out where is that in my body, first of all, you know, where do I feel that? Um, because it's, I guess it's so easy to not want to feel it and to allow it to become, you know, propantia and, uh, you know, thoughts, thoughts, um, uh, catastrophic fantasies and, and so yes. on. <laughs> so I would try and just work with that kind of um, somatically, I guess, and, and then try and breathe into that. Um, but I might try and do that within a kind of overall. Um, I might just sit in front of my shine, which has got pictures of green tar on it, and you know, try and do that within uh, an ambience of, of meta or holding that within meta or mm. holding within... Uh, mm calling her to mind in some way mm. yeah. yeah maybe maybe the mischievousness and the joyousness won't be quite so <laughs> quite so prominent in that moment when you're working on something difficult does, does that help dharma dinner does that help that yeah having that um you know that shrine and the feeling of meta when you're doing that how does it aid yeah, such a process? I, th I think any difficult feeling or emotion uh it's important to hold it within a bigger um arena as it were or mandala of, of loving kindness for yourself so if, if you can if you meet someone else who's anxious you know you want once one wants to you know, help them you kind of sometimes people just need physical a bit of physical uh holding because they're, 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 you know when you're anxious you're up here aren't you so it's like we need to hold our own difficult emotions in 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 better and loving kindness Thank you. That's really helpful, actually. And I think it might make me, um, when I'm processing such emotions, kind of not get lost, as you say, in the kind yeah. of, and take it up to the head, just kind of see it as a bigger thing. So thank you for that. Yeah, someone says, someone, I can't remember who said this, but you, it's like you're, if you were holding a wounded bird in your hand, you're the, in this, in this, you're the wounded bird, aren't you, with whatever difficult emotion is arising, but you're, it's, you're holding it in your heart. And you've got... Um, you know, you practice, you, you've got loads of good qualities, you've got loads of practice that you're building up in your own, in your own life stream. So you, you bring that to bear on the difficulties of the moment, I guess. 